right. Well, you guys see our text there. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 28 this morning. So you go there and flip there. Get a head start if you would like. We're going to be covering about 13 verses. So... If you weren't here when we began, once again, welcome. My name is Ricky. I'm the youth director here at Grace. So I am normally not leading music on Sunday mornings. And I'm normally not preaching on Sunday mornings. And I, I've never done both at the same, on the same day, at least here. It was, it was common at camp. Um, most of you guys know I spent about 10 years at a camp up in Plumtree, North Carolina, a retreat center near Boone, TBR Christian Tent Camp and Retreat Center. And there were many times that I would uh, lead music and then preach, but before that I might have been flipping your pancakes and, you know, who knows what else. You do, you do everything there. Um, so this is, this is not too new, but it's new for me to do, to do here. So welcome if you're a visitor Come back next week. There'll be someone better leading worship, and there'll be a better person. Well, we definitely miss David. Uh, David, uh, as as we we prayed about, is with Sarah, their little baby Jesse, up in Chapel Hill. And uh, they they do seem to be doing well. And, of course, for Pastor Brad, who was so sick, um, I think it hit him Tuesday. And he went to urgent care, and they said, oh, this, you know, it's a virus or something, it'll pass. And then he just kept, his fever just kept staying around. So we definitely... um, praying for him, that he is feeling better, and Allison, we're thankful that she's here here this morning, and I'm sure she's been taking care of him. So um, I'm thankful to get to, to get to preach while uh, David is, while, while Pastor Brad is, is out, while David's gone, but I hate the circumstances um, that, I, that I get to. But as I said, this is, this is pretty, pretty um, not, not too new for me, because at camp, a lot of times, though, if we could, we would work it out to where maybe if I were leading music, someone else would preach, or if I were preaching, someone else would lead music. And most of you guys know Michael Talley. Um, Michael is, is Brad's son, and Michael and I were really close friends and enjoyed many years together at camp, and we usually had that. Michael would, would preach, and I would lead worship, or vice versa. Um, I would preach, and he, he would lead worship. And there was a fall where um, we had this men's retreat in, actually from Fuquay. It was a, a small men's retreat from Fuquay, and they were up at camp. It was like in October, which is rare for an October weekend uh, to be just a men's retreat. Those weekends are usually packed out. Family retreats are grabbing them up, and once you get them, it's, they're theirs until they decide they don't want them anymore. But there was this thing that popped up on our schedule at camp, and it said, one day with God. And Michael and I, we both, neither one of us really knew anything about it, but we knew that he was going to go and teach and therefore, I was going to go and lead, and lead worship. And Greg, our camp director, he had scheduled it on there. So he kind of had the details. We didn't know too much about it. We were just supposed to go. So this men's retreat was in. It was low-key. We were able to sneak away. We packed up all of our gear. We had a couple other guys go with us. You know, we had a, a couple of amps, some guitar cases. And we load up in the car. And we only go about probably 5, 10 miles down the road and pulled into the prison. And there's a prison that close to camp. You're probably like, oh. And we're sending our kids there. But don't worry. You're safe. There's many mountains in between them and all that stuff. So we're good. But, yes, it's close. Uh, Mountain View uh, Correctional Facility. So we, we pull into this prison that's on the way to Spruce Pine. And it's like you would imagine. I don't know. Maybe you've been. Maybe you haven't. I hope not. Um, there's fences and razor wire and a tower and all that stuff. So we go, and they, they, they open up the gates, and they let us in. And we go into this guard shack, and we're rolling the amps and the guitar cases. And one of the guys has a sound, you know, thing. And uh, they're, they're checking it all, looking at our amps, our cases. Um, and then they say, okay, you're good to go. And they, they open up the doors for us, and we walk in. And we walk in, you know, they close the doors behind us, and we go. And then we walk to the next set of doors, and they open them, and we walk through, and then keep going, and they close the doors behind you. I mean, this was new to me. I've never been in a prison before and hope to never go back um, unless it's for something like that. And they kind of worked, worked us into the, into the prison. 
And we knew one day with God, it's something to do with kids, something to do with prisoners. But once again, Michael and I didn't really know the details. So we are working our way in, and we come down this hallway with all these plate glass windows. And we can see in there, and it's like a cafeteria-looking place. And there are all these prisoners, all these men in there. We're like, we're going in there. <laughs> but it was good. And then we, we get up to the door, and you see these men in their prison uniforms, and they let us in. And whenever we go in, we're rolling in our sound equipment, um, we get to the corner where they tell us to set up. And we notice that this room is also full of kids. And, you know, we're trying to plug in and set up. But meanwhile, I just couldn't help but what I was, notice what I was seeing. You see, I, April and I just had our first child. We just had Hudson. He was like less than a year old at this time. And I get to hold my son every night. If, if I want to, I get to go in there and I get to watch him sleep, okay? If, if I, I get to see him every day, all the first. And these men, they were with their kids. And, man, they were playing with them. They were, they were hugging them. They were rolling around in the floor, Little kids, you had to be potty trained, so they were, you know, at least, uh, you know, four or so. But they were three or four. But they were, they were playing with their kids, rolling around on the floor. They had them in their laps. And it wasn't just little kids. It's big kids, teenagers. And that's what got me. You had these teenage boys and girls sitting in their daddy's lap who was in a prison uniform. They had their arms around them, and they were touching them. And they were playing with them. They were laughing. They were crying. And I couldn't help but just notice think, man, I've got it made. I get to touch my son and hold him and watch him anytime I want. These men get now, and I don't know how long it's going to last. I knew that we were towards the end of the, the, the end of the day. Man, it hit me. Those guys, I'm sure they were filled with regret. They had made some decisions. They had done some things that put them where they are. And they were having to deal with the consequences. They were living a life full of the consequences of the decisions they had made. Maybe you guys can relate to that. Maybe you have done something in your life. You have made a decision. You have carried out an action that you now have to live with the consequences. Whatever it is. A lot of us may have some of those same things. A lot of you may have different things than others. But we all do things that have consequences. We all, we all at least have sin that we have to deal with, right? We all have to deal with sickness. We all have to deal with death. I hate death. We weren't meant to die. I hate death. We all have to live with the consequences of sin, at least. But what if I told you that God can use your consequences for good? You may say, what? How can that be good? How can God use something that's so horrible, that feels so bad, that hurts me and those I love so much? How can that be good? But a lot of times it's during those low times in life when you feel the pressure and the pain and you feel the regret that you are finally most vulnerable to look up to God and accept his love. Today we're talking about a man who had to live with the consequences of some decisions he made, bad decisions. And while he was living in the consequences, and I'm sure he had regret, and he was feeling the pain and the loss, God revealed himself to this man in a mighty way. We're talking about Jacob today. 
And before we dive into our passage, into our scripture, let me give you a little bit of background story about Jacob. You guys have probably heard about Jacob, I'm sure. Jacob, before I go there, I want to tell you that he, he has a brother, and his brother's name is Esau. And Jacob and Esau, their parents are Isaac and Rebekah. You guys have heard about these before. If you've grown up in church or if you've been at Grace for a while, you have heard about these characters, I'm sure. These real people, they're just not characters, they're real. And Jacob, like many of us, he wants what's best for him. Jacob, he's looking out for number one. Do you guys know someone like that? Well, it's us, right? He's looking out for number one all the time. Jacob wants what's best for him. We actually read in Genesis 25, verse 26, that he comes out of the womb grabbing after the heel of his brother. I want to be first. He's grabbing the heel of his brother. He wants to be the one that's out first to get the blessing. But it doesn't stop there. We go on to read in Genesis 25 that one day Esau comes in. And when he comes inside, we have Jacob over here making some stew. And Esau says, Jacob, I would love some stew. And Jacob, he has something in mind here. And he says, okay, this is an opportunity. I was grabbing for the blessing. Now I get to bargain for it. And he says, okay, you want some of this stew? Give me your birthright in exchange, and I'll give you some stew. He's the bargainer. And Esau says, what do I care? Just give me some food. I'm going to die if I don't get some food. And the birthright's not going to, I just need some food. I need to be able to live. Sure, give me some food. Jacob, he's grabbing for the blessing. He's bargaining for the blessing. And now the boy's father, he's about to die. Isaac's old. He's almost blind. And their mother, Rebecca, she's in the next room, and she hears one day some talking. And she goes up and she listens, and it's Isaac. And he's talking to Esau, the oldest son. And he says, I'm about to die. I want you to go out. I want you to kill some wild game. Prepare it. Bring it back for me so that I can bless you. Now, Rebecca, she wasn't all for that. You see, she liked Jacob the best. I don't know why. Esau, he liked Isaac liked Esau the best because he made good food, right? And, and, we, and she says, Jacob, come. Because the blessing's about to be given away. They've grabbed for it. Jacob's grabbed for it. He's bargained for it. And now he's about to deceive for it. And Rebecca says, go to your father's flock and get two, two goats and bring them to me. So he brings them and she prepares them so that he can take them in to Isaac and to receive the blessing that belonged to Esau. And she takes goat skin and she puts it on Jacob's arm so he'd feel hairy like Esau and on the back of his neck. We, that's, which, is, which is really weird, right? If you think of that, like, ugh, that'd be gross. Anyway, and so now he feels like Esau. He smells like Esau because she's gone in and got his best garments and put them on him and says, go. The, the plan is in place. Go and carry it out. Jacob goes in. And he receives the blessing from his almost blind father, and he leaves. And then Esau returns, and he comes in. I'm sure he's a father, I have the, the game I killed for you, I prepared for you, it's my blessing. He says, I've already given it away. It must have been Jacob. Now, this must have been a blessing that, that was irrevocable because it's gone. Esau's devastated. Esau, he weeps bitterly, we read. In Isaac, he trembles with anger. They are so upset. And even Esau says, that brother of mine, Jacob, I'm going to kill him once my father dies. Well, Rebecca, she's listening again. And she hears this. He's going to kill Jacob? She doesn't want her favorite son to be killed. So she has a plan once again to deceive. But this time, not to go behind her husband Isaac, but to use him in a way, really. So she goes up to Isaac and she says, all these local women, these Hittite women, 
You know, the ones that Esau married, I can't stand them. I hate them. They make my life miserable. I can't stand these ladies, these women. And Isaac, he's smart. He thinks, hey, okay, Jacob's not married yet. If she doesn't like these women, he needs to go find a woman from somewhere else. Jacob, come. I want you to go to your uncle's land. I want you to go to your uncle Laban, and I want you to find a wife for yourself. Isaac now willingly gives Jacob a blessing. And he asks the Lord to bless Jacob and his people and that he will multiply greatly. And he sends Jacob out. This sounds a lot like Adam and Eve, maybe the commission from God to them, even to Noah and his family after the flood. They'll be blessed. They'll multiply. And this is the point that we start to see Jacob having to deal with some consequences some decisions he's made. Jacob, he has always ensured that he would be first. He's grabbing, he's bargaining, he's deceiving to get whatever he wants, especially the blessings that do not belong to him. He's going to make a way to get it. And his actions have put himself in danger. And now he's gotten the boot. It's got him the boot. He's having to leave his home. He's having to leave the people he knows. He's having to go. This sounds a lot like what happens in Genesis 3 in Eden. Decisions are made. Sin, you got to go. Sounds a lot like what happens to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. You got to go. You got to leave your home. Maybe it sounds familiar to you. Maybe you guys have made some decisions, some actions you've carried out. You feel like you're, well, you've been sent away. Maybe you feel distant from God. Maybe you feel like he's not there. So Jacob's leaving his land. He's going to find a wife. This is where we jump into our scripture, Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 through 22. Let's unpack it verse by verse. We normally would stand and would read all the scripture, but uh, for the sake of time, we're just going to work our way through verse by verse. So we're going to go over verse 10 and 11. Let's begin there. Jacob left Beersheba and he went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. So we read that Jacob's on his way. He's going to find his new wife. It's getting late. He comes to a place. He needs to stop. He needs to stay for the night. So he lays his head down. He got, grabs a stone. And a lot of people believe this stone, he wouldn't have put his head on it. But maybe beside his head, he would have had this stone. Because this is a significant stone. It's going to come into play here in a few minutes, a few verses down. This is probably a stone of some size here. But the important thing to notice here is he's getting ready to go to sleep. For a man who's in control all the time of his circumstances. He's about to be met by God when he's not in control. When he can't control things, when he's sleeping in his dreams. Verse 12. And he dreamed and behold, there was a, a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. So Jacob, he, he has this dream of this ladder that's set up between heaven and earth. And many people believe maybe it was more of a ramp or a staircase with landings. But either way, there is a connection between heaven and earth. And there are angels ascending and descending on it. And these angels, they were working. 
They were workers, they were messengers, and they're carrying messages back and forth on this ramp, this ladder between heaven and earth. And God's at the top. And he tells Jacob that the land he's lying on is going to belong to him and to his people. Now this whole scenario is a little familiar. If you've read through Genesis and you've built your way up to this point, you know, in, as you're reading through Genesis, it would, it would remind you of a little bit earlier you would have read about another, well, at least an attempt to connect heaven and earth. And it was the Tower of Babel. But this was done by people. They had come together. They wanted to reach heaven. So they themselves were building this tower to make a connection to heaven. But this time, God is the one who initiated connection to earth. God is the one who initiates our contact with him, not us. Man can't grab for, bargain for, deceive, build his way up to God. You can't. God comes to you. And that's what we see here. This is important for us to know. This is important for Jacob to learn. Because he's gotten what he's wanted so far. He's worked to achieve what he wants. Jacob wants the blessing of God. He's wanted blessing. And God is now trying to give it to him. God's come to earth to give him blessing. This sounds familiar. Even in John chapter 151, Jesus tells Nathaniel that you will see heaven open and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jacob, Jacob doesn't know it, but Jesus is coming. And Jesus would be our Jacob's ladder. Jesus would be our connection to heaven, to the Father. It's beautiful how all of the Bible points to Jesus. Verse 14. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God, he tells Jacob, he says, look around. Look, I mean, look to the north, the south. Look at, look at the east, the west. It's all going to be yours. Your people are going to go. It's going to be theirs. Which reminds us too of Babel again. The people, look, the land, they're going. But it was, it was really part of their judgment. This is going to be blessing. The people are going to go and it's going to be their blessing. So God tells Jacob, he says, I'm bringing you back here. Okay, right here, I'm bringing you back. And this is huge because that means he's going to make it back. Because <laughs> remember, he's on his way out. And this, is, this means if God says I'm coming back, then that means he's going to make sure I come back. He's going to protect me. Jacob has the protection of God as he is going into the consequences he's having to deal with. God's going to be with him. God's going to protect him. Verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. He said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Jacob then, he, he wakes up and he acknowledges that the Lord, the Lord is there. God had gotten Jacob's attention. And he's scared. 
And this is appropriate. Whenever we meet God, we're in the presence of God, fear is what you should feel. And you may think, well, God is love. How can he be so scary? How can I be fearful? No, fear is what you should feel. Yes, adoration, absolutely. Terror, yes. They can both go together. Adoration and, and terror can go together. At, at camp up at TVR, we had this place called Plow Point. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Plow Point, but it's this rock that juts out from the side of the mountain. It's one mile straight up to the top. I know because I had a Jeep Wrangler and I set my odometer and drove to the top. It was so much fun. But anyway, it was one, one mile and I broke something every time I drove up there. So finally, April's like, you need to stop. Um, so we, we, we would drive up to Plow Point. We'll walk up there. And you would go and you would kind of see that that's where I need to go, but it's heavy brush. And you would walk down this trail and you wouldn't see the view of Plow Point until you got to it, really. So you see the rock, you step out on it, it's jutting out, it's like you're floating in air. And when you first walk out there, and everyone, I've seen it hundreds of times, you walk out there and you're, wow, for about two seconds. And then it's, oh, oh, oh yeah. I'm on a rock. Is it, you know, is it, are we good? At first, it's this, wow, adoration. And then this realization, one little push, one little gust of wind, I'm a goner. You respect the place. And this is appropriate. When we meet with God, too, you, you come out, wow. But then you know your sinfulness. Oh, and you know the wrath of God is what you deserve. Jacob wakes up in fear. He's a worldly man. But God is being very gracious to him. So let's see how he responds. What does he do? Verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. The name of the city was Luz at first. So what's Jacob's response? Well, Jacob worships. That's what he does. He believes that this is where God is. Right here, the ladder is right here. This is the gate to heaven. This is the connection. It's right here. I got to remember it because God says he's going to bring me back. This is where I want to build the temple, right here, because this is the gate. This is the connection. So he takes this rock. Remember the rock he had beside his head? And he sets it up right there. It's probably a rock of some size. You see this throughout scripture. It was normal in, in ancient Near East. You would set up these stones. They're called standing stones. They're comm commemorative. Might, might be marking something legal or something, um, some kind of whatever, serve as a memorial. You see these throughout. The most popular would be Ebenezer probably in, in 1 Samuel 7. It's probably the most popular when Samuel erected his standing stone, Ebenezer. You see him at Sinai in Exodus 24. Moses set up 12 of them. But here Jacob is setting up this standing stone so that he remembers right here is where God is. It's right here. This is the way to heaven. And Jacob takes oil and he pours it over the, the stone. And this is significant because this is something that was done at the coronation of kings. God was at the top the king, he's pouring oil over the top of this stone. He names the place house of God. He worships. That's what Jacob does. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, 
and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And the stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So when we first read this, okay, Jacob, he worshiped, he set up the stone, he poured oil over the top of it. What does he say? Now we have an advantage as readers of scripture. We know, we can step outside of the text. We can look into the past. We can look into the future of the person. We know what's going to happen. We can't forget Jacob's past, his reputation. Remember, he's He's, he, he's the grabber, he'll grabber, grabbing for first. He's the bargainer, he's the, he's the deceiver. And now he opens his mouth talking to God. And we can't forget his past because what I hear is I see the word if. If God will be with me and keep me in his way that I go, give me bread to eat, clothing to wear, then the Lord will be my God. And I can't help but wonder, is he questioning God? I think about Hudson, my oldest son. He's six, and he loves to play Wii. We've restricted him to Fridays and Saturdays only, and he doesn't like play all day because he asks 24-7. So the quickest thing to say, no, not until Friday or Saturday. But on Friday or Saturday, he asks, can we play Wii Daddy? No. Can we play Wii Daddy? No. Can we play Wii Daddy? Oh, yes. Okay. And I go to stand up. Maybe I need to go get some water first. And I start to walk toward the kitchen. Daddy, 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 you you said we're going to play Wii. We are going to play Wii. But if we're going to play Wii, then you need to come turn on the TV. All right, all right, and turn on the TV. Let me go get some water. Daddy, 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 what? If we're going to play Wii, you need to get the remote. You know, he's starting to lose it, you know, breaking out. We're going to play Wii, buddy. Just let me get some water. But, daddy, you said if you're going to do this, then you need to be doing this. He's not really reminding me of, daddy, you're so faithful to your promises of going to play Wii with me. <laughs> you see, this sure doesn't look like you're going to play Wii with me. You see, if you're going to play, then why are you doing this? And I can't help but wonder, is Jacob questioning God? If you're going to give this to me, then why am I having to go out here? Is he bargaining with God? If you give me clothes and food, if you give me protection, then I will worship you and give you a full tent. Maybe. Because... I mean, we know, once again, stepping outside of the scripture, we, we can look. We know in Genesis 32, when he returns to Canaan, spoiler alert, that he's going to have some wrestling to do with God. And there's going to be a change. He's going to become Israel. So maybe, and this is real for all of us too, there's times that we have to combat doubts and questions. It's fair. But the second perspective is that maybe they're starting to really be a change in Jacob. Maybe he's starting to see that God provides everything. Maybe he can't grab for it, deceive for it, bargain for it. Maybe he's realizing, I have to cling to the promises of God. If I'm going to come back here, God, you're going to have to provide for me moment by moment. I even need you to give me my clothes. I need you to give me my food. I'm going to need you to sustain me every moment. I think there's a change happening in Jacob. His faith is not in some future distant, when I return, when I get to heaven, then God, it's right now. I need you now for everything. For Jacob to make it through the years he's about to have with his uncle Laban, once again, we know what he's about to have to go through. He doesn't. He's going to need to 
to look to something more, to the promises of God. We see how Jacob tried so hard to earn, to work for blessing, and now God is freely trying to give it to him. So the man who was always in control, the man who could get whatever he wanted, the man that can, who could make happen whatever he wanted to make happen, now is finally starting to realize that God is the only one that's really in control. I think he's learning that. But you know what? You still got to go. You're still leaving. You still got to go deal with the decisions he's made. And live with the consequences. Talking about deceiving, he's about to be deceived by his uncle. Talk about deceiving, his sons are going to deceive him towards the end of his life. But it doesn't change the fact that God is with him and will protect him. He's made many mistakes, he's reaping the consequences. But God loves him and he's using him, even though he's made bad decisions even though he's having to live and deal with the consequences. So that day, Michael and I were at that prison, and there was a couple other guys there in Spruce Pine. Michael um, had preached. I had, I had played, led a few songs. They weren't really listening to us, and I don't blame them. Would you listen to us if you were getting a hold of you know, your kids? That's fine. And we were towards the end of the day. We didn't know when it ended exactly, but we knew we were towards the end. And this place that was full of laughter and happiness just became, it became silent. You know, and we, we, we didn't even pack up. We, you could just tell the mood was just somber. So we just sat there and watched. And you had these kids in the laps of their dads, big kids, little kids, and they were hugging them. Silence. And then there was a name called. And you see this man somewhere in the crowd stand up with his kid. And he walks over to the door and he has to let go of his kid. And they walk down in front of those windows that we saw coming in. And they would walk along the windows with their kids. And they would watch them go through the next doors and they were gone. And the next name. And it just kept going. And these men, they went back over to their chairs, the table, wherever they were sitting. They just collapsed and cried. Grown men. Crying is all you could hear. Man, I was not ready for that. These men were very aware of the consequences they were having to live with because of the decisions they had made during that moment. I'm sure of it. And we too, Some of you right now are very aware of the consequences you're having to live with because of some decisions you've made in the past. We're broken. You and I are broken. We're broken people. We're in a broken world. It hurts. Now, I could have gone up to those men. There would, have, there would come a day that they would be released, more than likely, and they would get to go and they would get to hold the ones that they loved. I could have gone up and said that, hey, but one day, don't you get to? But man, it would not have made that time any easier for them. It hurt. 
It wouldn't have let them feel any less pain. It hurt. These men were paying their debt. One day it would be paid and they would be released to be with the ones they loved, I'm sure. And there's coming a day that we too will be released from the power or from the effects of sin. That we too will get to be with the one that we love. You see, our debt's already been paid. The debt that we owe to God has already been paid. We're just waiting now for the release to go and to be with the one that we love. To see God face to face just as Jacob got to see. So this story no doubt brought hope to the nation of Israel when they were later in exile. But it also brings hope for us today, for God's people. So I want to ask you, do you feel like Jacob today? Do you feel distant? Do you feel distant from God, maybe sent away sometimes? Have you felt that you are far away and there can be no purpose in what you're having to deal with? Maybe you think there's going to be no end to the consequences you're feeling. But I want us to see is how gracious God is. I want us to see that Jacob was a worldly man. He became a worshiper. And that we, like Jacob and like Israel, are not obedient and we have to deal with the consequences, but we have a God that redeems and that loves us and that is with us and cares for us and has given us his promises. We're broken and there's consequences we have to live with in this world, but have you, like Jacob, recognized God's grace and mercy in your every life? every moment of what he provides you with. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. He's with you. Are you taking notice of his provision and blessings? Jacob, he responded in worship and tithe. That's how he responded. Even though he was having to leave, knowing he would come back one day, it hurt. And he still responded in worship and tithe. How will you respond? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the men that you use in Scripture. We thank you that you have chosen to not just use perfect people, <laughs> but you use broken people to carry out your will. Even in this broken world, when we make mistakes, you care for us. You provide for us. And even as we get ready to take up this benevolence offering, we thank you that you allow us to share in providing for the body as well. Lord, we pray for those who may feel hopeless here today, feel abandoned, feel sent away, that they will know just because we have to deal with the effects of sin and the decisions we have made does not mean that you have abandoned us, that you love us, you are with us, and we will see you face to face. Lord, we pray that this offering will be used for your glory. We thank you for the deacons that uh, delegate this. And Lord, we pray that you will be honored and the gospel will be carried out through this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.